Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. It's me, Kelly Knight. I am your host and Modern Mystic Shop owner. All right, I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready? It's pretty much a fact. I don't know if it's an actual fact, but I feel like maybe science has caught up to this. But if it hasn't, this is my belief. It is my belief, I'll say, that your unconscious thoughts create the experience of the life you're living. One of my favorite quotes is by Carl Jung, and he says, until you make your unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Sit with that for a second. Unless you make your, I'm sorry, until you make your unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. We are not creating our conscious desires. We are creating our unconscious thought forms and patterns. This is why it is so, so imperative that we have the tools to confront these patterns and these thought forms so that we can be more honest with ourselves and take responsibility for what we are creating. So that's why I'm so stoked to have this week's presenter. Her name is Adrienne Kuhnmund. It is going to help you with all of this, with, with your unconscious thought patterns. So let me give you her stats because she's super impressive. She got her PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Georgia and her master's of science degree in general psychology from Eastern Washington University. She currently has a private practice in the Ponce Highland neighborhood of Atlanta, where she specializes in working with LGBTQ plus folks and women. And in her spare time, doesn't sound like she has a lot of spare time, but in her spare time, she teaches Sunday school um, and she enjoys walking and hiking and having her friends over for dinner around her fire pit. So this lady knows the psychology of what it is that I was describing. So in this class specifically, she's going to get honest by talking to all of us about how we struggle with the feelings of low self-esteem and self-criticism at some point in life. We have all gone through this. Sometimes it's habitual, sometimes it comes in phases. But regardless, Adrian helps you gain insight into what's behind the self-criticism and how you can begin to change it. You will learn these tools and strategies to promote awareness of subconscious emotions and increase self-compassion. So that's exactly what I started here with, that um, making your unconscious conscious and having the tools that you need to confront that so that you can really increase your compassion for yourself and you can feel better about how you are moving through life. So I am so excited to introduce understanding self-criticism and increasing self-compassion with Adrian Kuhnmann. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to have a microphone. Um, such a sense of like power and confidence comes with a microphone. Um, I don't get to use one in my everyday life, but now, who knows? Maybe I'll just walk around with one. <laughs> um, so I'm Dr. Adrian Kunemund. Um, I uh, have my doctorate from University of Georgia, a practice about five minutes from here, um, where I work with a lot of different issues, a lot of different kinds of people. Um, but something that seems to always come up in my work is self-criticism. Uh, who here 
um, has ever had a self-critical thought? Let me see a show of hands. Uh, everyone. <laughs> For those listening on the podcast, almost everyone raised their hands. Um, yeah, it's something that we really struggle with uh, in you know today's society, and it's amplified by all sorts of tools that we can use to compare ourselves to others. Um, mainly what comes to mind is social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, and comparing ourselves to these sort of seemingly perfect images or representations of lives or people um, that's impossible for us to truly embody in the everyday. Uh, and when we have those kinds of goals or unrealistic expectations, we can be setting ourselves up for failure um, and for distress. But before I get any further into self-criticism, I would actually like to start um, my talk today with an abbreviated self-compassion breathing exercise, um, which I'm very excited about to do with you guys because this is a tool that if you like it, you can practice it at home, take it with you, um, listen to it on the podcast, uh, and um, do it for yourself on a regular basis. So who here knows how to take a deep breath, a true deep breath? Okay, I see some hands, some people seem uncertain. Yes, it's not a trick question. Um, it actually is a skill. Uh, a lot of us in our day-to-day -day take very shallow breaths. Um, and doing deep breathing is a really fundamental way to decrease our stress and relax and science is behind it if you practice this on a regular basis you can physically push your body into a more relaxed calm state with practice okay so what i would like everybody to do is if you could place one hand on your chest and one hand on your abdomen and go ahead and take a breath and observe which hand is moving more If you're noticing that the hand on your chest is moving more when you breathe in and it's rising, that's a shallow breath. That means that breath is stopping in the chest. What we want is that breath to go down into our abdomen. Hi, welcome. So go ahead and try that again. Take a deep breath, but this time try to push it down into your gut. It's gonna be uncomfortable, maybe a little weird if you don't practice it, that's okay. This isn't gonna come naturally the first time. Okay, great. Now what I would like um, everybody to do is go ahead and get comfortable. Make sure your spines are straight. Um, plant both feet on the floor if you can. Um, rest your hands in your lap or on your stomach, whatever feels comfortable to you. Uh, and if you like, you can go ahead and close your eyes. You don't have to. We are in a public space, um, so no pressure. <laughs> uh, but if you feel comfortable, go ahead and close your eyes. And I want us to take a deep breath in for four seconds. I'm going to count to four. One two, three, four. And then I want you to hold that breath. One, two, three, 
four, and then I would do a full exhale. One, two, three, four. Okay, and this time, as you're focusing on the breath, taking extended inhales, holding it, and extended exhales, I want you to think about somebody you love or someone you care about deeply. This could be a best friend, this could be a pet, a teacher, a parent, family member. And I want you to turn that love for them, that affection for them. Imagine it as a warm white light that as you breathe in, you see it and feel it growing in your chest. And as you're breathing, imagine that white, warm light spreading throughout your body, reaching all your tense muscles. Focus it on your shoulders. Notice if you have tension there, and if you do, go ahead and roll them out and push that warm light through the tense muscles. Trace it down your spine, into your hips. Maybe focus on the weight of your thighs against the chair, feeling heavy, sink into that chair. And on your next inhale, go ahead and push that feeling down into your toes, into your feet planted firmly on the floor. And let's go ahead and take two more deep breaths. Counts of four. One, two, three, four. Hold it. One, two, three, four. And when you're ready, exhale. Fully, completely, so there's no air left in your lungs. And we're going to go ahead and do one more breath. One more deep breath for me. And when you're ready, you can slowly open your eyes, get readjusted back into the present space. And I'll wait till I see everyone is eyes open and with me. Great. How does everyone feel? Good, I see some head nods. <laughs> Feeling a bit more grounded into the space. Um, and you guys, I'm not going to lie, I tricked you a little bit there, okay? Because that was a self-compassion breathing exercise. What we did there, okay, is that I had you focus on somebody else that you love or care about deeply, and then use that energy to help take care of yourself and to turn that love and affection inwards. Oh, you're fine. And I did that... Because oftentimes, it's easier, please, it's easier uh, to be kinder to others and to love others 
than it is to love ourselves. How many people in here have felt that way? Right? We can be so forgiving of other people and so understanding, um, but it can be a real challenge to turn that inwards, and that's what that exercise just did. Okay. So now that we're all grounded in this space, I want to focus on self-criticism. Self-criticism is tricky because a lot of people use it because we think it helps us, that it motivates us. Okay? It's, we want to take responsibility for ourselves and what we do and the mistakes we make, right? That's a good thing. That's how we grow and evolve and change. But self-criticism is when taking responsibility or challenging ourselves or looking at ourselves in a bit more of a critical way to grow. Self-criticism is when we get out of control with that. It, it's, that's what happens when it reaches an unhealthy place. And it be, can become counterproductive and work against us. And I'm going to get into that um, more in a little bit. But you know you've crossed a line. Okay, this is how you know when you've crossed a line into self-criticism. Because it's good to take out, what did I do wrong in this situation? My friend's mad at me. Okay, let me think about what I said. That probably wasn't right. Okay, we should be thinking like that, right? But here's how you know when you crossed a line. If you're feeling significantly distressed for an extended period of time, okay? It's okay to feel bad, right? It's okay to feel sad or upset with ourselves or discouraged. Those are normal human emotions on that big spectrum of emotions we all experience. Challenging ones, but normal. Okay, but if you begin to feel bad for um, what is an undeserved amount of time, okay, that's, start to notice that. If hours or days go by and you're still feeling bad about something, that's probably not the best space for you to be in. That's a sign that we're reaching a different level of distress there. Okay, another way to know that you're crossing into self-criticism is when you begin to feel bad about your whole self. So maybe a mistake or a piece of feedback we got from a friend or an employer, instead of saying, oh, I can be better at that thing, or I could have done that differently, we start saying, I'm bad. I need to be different as a person. Something is more innately and deeply wrong with me. That turns a situation or an action or somebody else's perspective into the self. Something is wrong with the self. And that's not, that's not healthy. Okay, we don't want to do that. That's taking self-criticism to another level. All right, and a third cue is if you start to feel afraid. And I know that that sounds like a big word. But afraid in terms of um, you're afraid to try new things or put yourself out there, afraid to have confidence, right? That's a sign that the criticism of the self is becoming counterproductive because that's going to prevent you from growing ultimately. So if you notice that you start to feel afraid to do new things or to ask for help or put yourself out there, that's it, that's a surefire sign. All right, so how did we get here? That's what self-criticism is. That's how we know it's bad news bears. How did we get here? 
Who here can remember the day they started being self-critical? Okay, I see you one hand, but most people are like, I don't know, it just happened, right? <laughs> just how we are for as long as I can remember. Um, we have thoughts like, what's wrong with me? I'm dumb, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, thoughts that I know as I say them sound kind of basic, but let's be real, we all have them, okay? Uh, so how did we get here? Almost no one knows when it started. That's because it starts from birth. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Very dramatic, I know. But in reality, it does. It starts, it's rooted in childhood, okay? It's, and it's multifactorial where we get these messages. Um, we receive messages about ourselves from various sources starting in childhood, okay? Where do, where do we begin to receive messages about ourselves? Can anyone raise their hand and share with me? Yes. Parents, yes. Parents can be great. I don't want to throw them under the bus. I'm not Freud here, right? Okay. But parents, family, they can, yeah, certainly, tell us um, we're not good enough. Why can't you get A's? Uh, watch your weight, all sorts of things we hear from family and familial expectations about our performance, who we should be, what we should look like, all of that sort of thing. Where else do we receive those messages from? Yes. Yes, teachers, principals, advisors, any kind of authoritarian person in school, right, when we're kids, for sure. They even, you know, divide folks up into classes, you know, the AP classes, the regular classes. And those are, you know, implicit messages about who we are and our abilities. Where else? Yes. The church, okay. Sure, I think any sort of organization um, has, can have expectations from schools to uh, churches to friend groups, um, wherever, there's, there can be expectations about who we should be and how we are. Um, and some can be more critical than others, right? And if you find yourself in a critical space, maybe that's not the space for you, okay? That's, that's a thought I'll share. Where else might, might we receive these messages? Yeah. Friends, okay, using that term loosely. I like that you clarified that. Friends, people in our circle, the people we surround ourselves with. Okay, we also receive these messages from society in general at large, okay? I think we're all familiar, right? There's been a lot of conversations over the past couple decades about the messages we receive from media, right? A very common example is how the media tells us, um, especially women, how our bodies should be, right? And that there's a lot of expectation and it turns into criticism and turns into policing ourselves and each other. That's a great example of how societal messages can impact us, okay? So here's the thing. We receive these messages from various places from day one, we get them. 
you're not good enough, you need to get A's, you're not as smart as so-and-so, you're not as strong as this person, you're not as tough as that person. Um, and then when you add on to that are identities. You know, especially for marginalized peoples, these messages can be amplified. And in this way, I do believe that self-criticism is a social justice issue, okay? Because part of what can happen too as we grow up is we receive messages, um, oh, fine. is we receive messages about our identities and who we are, okay? Messages based in discriminatory systems that don't value us and don't value, um, that, don't, that don't value us. And for example, um, there's lots of ideas about women, right? That women are overly emotional and maybe dramatic. Is it, what woman in here has been called dramatic or too emotional? Yes, no, I hate that, right? That in and of itself is critical of women having emotions. Because wouldn't it be so different if when a woman had strong emotions, we said, you know, that's a really challenging situation and it's understandable that you would have a strong emotional reaction to that and you need to talk to somebody about it. Can you imagine, has someone ever said that to you? No, it's, it's you just gotta get over it. You're being too much, right? And across, this happens across identities. Who here is familiar with Brown versus Board of Education? Yes, I see some hands. So as part of that um, case, uh, Clark and Clark did a really um, interesting psychological study, I think 1947, okay? And a lot of folks who have taken Psych 101 will be familiar with this study. I've taken lots of Psych 101 classes, um, so I know it. Uh, and what happened is they, um, had uh, children, African-American children, look, they gave them two dolls, a white doll and a black doll. And they gave them a list, essentially, via like question interview form, of positive characteristics and negative characteristics. And what the children did is when asked which doll has these positive characteristics, they, almost, they associated almost all of those with the white doll, okay? and all of the negative characteristics to the black doll, the doll that looked most like them. And I just wanna sit with that for a second. Okay. Because these were children. I believe most of them were under 10, I could be wrong. But I think that that demonstrates how the messages we receive from society about our identities Okay, a society that's rooted in discrimination, that does not treat people equally or see people equally. How over time, when we receive those messages from early on, repeatedly from different sources, from people we know inter through interpersonal interactions and microaggressions, through the media, what we see on TV, our, our political systems, when you're exposed to those for years from childhood, slowly over time they become internalized. We internalize them. We internalize these narratives we're told about ourselves to the extent that we begin to believe them. Part of us knows it's not true, but part of us begins to believe them. And how much damage does that do 
when the foundation, the source of the narrative that you have about who you are, is rooted in systems that do not appreciate you. So we get feedback from people we're close to, okay? And then we get feedback from society and all these ideas about what we're worth and what our abilities are and how lovable we are get all tied in with each other. And it becomes a habit. And we begin to think this way automatically when we're in situations. We start to think, well, I know I'm bad. I know I'm not good. So what did I do wrong in this situation? How did I mess up this situation? Because I know the problem is me. And after years of doing this, by the time we're adults, it's, it's a habit. It's automatic. We do it without thinking and it becomes implicit. They become automatic thoughts and it becomes an automatic way through which to view the world and your connection with it. So then sometimes when we continue to receive feedback about ourselves, um, maybe uh, feedback or we're told something negative about ourselves, maybe things based not in reality, based on someone else's bias, we can still then begin to use that as confirmation of what's wrong with us and it can feed our self-criticism. Okay. How are we feeling? Any, any questions so far as I'm going? Okay, good. So a vicious cycle begins, okay? I'm gonna read, I wrote the cycle down on a piece of paper because I didn't wanna get mixed up in it. So I'll read it off to you. We have the belief that we are bad, and I'm using overly simplistic terms on purpose because bad can be a multitude of things depending on what you've been told about yourself or what you've learned, I put that in quotes, learned about yourself, okay? We have the belief that we are bad, so then when we make a mistake or receive critical feedback, we automatically criticize ourselves, then we feel worse, and then we engage oftentimes in an unhelpful behavior, like avoidance or preoccupation, instead of something more helpful like gaining insight or you know, getting curious about what just happened. And then we find ourselves in another situation that builds upon the previous one, okay? And then that situation becomes more confirmation of the fact that we're bad, and it becomes a cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again, okay? So say we're at work and we make a mistake, um, and we get the feedback that we made that mistake because we're too stupid to understand. Um, and so how do we feel when we're told we're stupid, right? We feel bad, okay? So then we feel bad, and then instead of going out and seeking help um, or asking how do I do this, maybe we feel too ashamed or too embarrassed um, to ask for help. So we try to figure it out on our own or we totally avoid the task and we don't do it anymore. Um, and so then what happens? We still don't know how, how to do what we need to do and we're feeling really bad. And then so the next time we're asked to do the same thing, guess what? We still don't know how to do it, okay? And then that becomes further evidence for the fact that we're not good enough. 
even though from the get-go you might not have known to do the task or how to do it because maybe the person who was supposed to train you didn't do it well. Maybe it's their fault, okay? <laughs> maybe we could have been paying attention a little bit more, but maybe it was a tough day, you know? Maybe we had a lot going on. We all have a lot going on in our personal lives, so it's okay. But when we start to feel so bad, and this goes back to what I was saying before earlier, when self-criticism, when taking responsibility or um, trying to hear what someone else is saying and as feedback, when that can go too far, right? So if we get the feedback that we're not doing something right and we begin to internalize it, that we are the problem, that can create all sorts of shame and contribute to that vicious cycle that we can get caught up in. Hi, it's me again. I hope you are enjoying this episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. I wanted to pop in and say, if you like what you're hearing, especially if you love what you're hearing and you listen to our podcast week after week and you gain anything positive from it, I would really appreciate it if you would share this podcast with anyone that you think we can help and serve through these messages. It is our goal in 2020 to grow this podcast to have a further reaching audience. And the way that we've grown our business in the past has been through word of mouth through people like you. So I'm just reaching out and asking if you have anyone that would benefit from these episodes, please, please share our podcast with those that are near and dear to you so we can help grow our global community community and we can grow and learn and transform together. Thank you so much for listening and now back with our episode. Creating a false history of evidence. Okay. Any questions about that? Any thoughts about that? I'm curious. Does that bring anything up for anyone? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure who here feels like they've been caught in something similar to that cycle before? Yeah, a lot of us, right? Oh, things are starting to make sense. They're starting to click and fall into place. So how do we stop this cycle? For those of you who have been caught in this cycle before, how did you stop it? What helped? Did anything help? Therapy, great. Oh, I'm going to walk around because I can move with this mic. Yeah. Journaling and writing it out. Yes, that's such a great way of getting curious as opposed to avoiding, right? Yeah. Mirror work and mantras. Yes, positive mantras, affirmative mantras, because what self-criticism can become is like a negative mantra, right? We tell ourselves, what's wrong with me over and over and over again. And if what's wrong with me becomes our mantra, we're going to feel like crap, right? Great. So affirmative mantras. What else? What is it? Reverse self-programming. Yes, I'm going to get into that a little bit, like some cognitive restructuring. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to be talking about that. Yeah. Yes, talking it out with someone you trust. Shame is our enemy. Okay, shame is bad. And it can prevent us <laughs> from talking it out with people that we trust. You laughed at that connect. <laughs> yeah. These are all great ways to stop the cycle. 
okay? And I know that I didn't necessarily originate them and I'm like the speaker, but listen to your peers because this is something we all struggle with. And those are all things that I would have recommended. So take note because if they're helping your peers, there's a good chance they might help you too. And for a lot of these things, there's evidence and science to back up uh, those methods. <coughs> I know. I use them, and I have my clients use them too. Okay. So part of what all of those things do, the journaling, the mantras, the cognitive restructuring, talking it out, they help us have compassion for ourselves. Okay, who here is familiar with self-compassion? Okay, what do we know? Does anybody feel like sharing what they know about self-compassion? I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Yes. Yes, giving yourself the same grace you give other people. Easier said than done. Which is why I tricked you with that breathing exercise earlier and had you think about somebody else and then use that love <laughs> to work through your own tension, right? Because it's easier, okay? A lot of people think self-compassion is wishy-washy, like, ooh, be kind to yourself. No, okay, it's legit. We wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't need it, all right? Um, is having compassion and empathy and understanding for ourselves the way we do for the people we love in our life, the way we do for our friends, okay? And there's, it's associated with uh, increased well-being and decreased distress. It's been shown to help with anxiety, depression, physical ailments, PTSD. There's loving kindness meditations and workshops out there for folks struggling with trauma. It is helpful and it works. It's useful, okay? So how do we increase our self-compassion? All the ways that we're talked about, great methods, okay? Getting curious about what, one of the great tools, and this is why I love journaling, um, is getting curious about the narrative we have regarding ourselves the narrative that others hold about us. What are those narratives rooted in? Because I talked about earlier, they're probably rooted in some BS, okay? <laughs> and we need to increase our awareness of that. And if some of those narratives are not rooted in anything false, well then that's, again, something more curious, something else to get more curious about. Because if we can get curious without judgment, then we can begin to approach what we're struggling with, and we can approach it with a sense of kindness. Oh, my friend gave me feedback that, here's an example, um, a friend gives, gives you feedback that maybe you've been a little too self-absorbed lately. Ugh, that can be hard to hear, okay? But if we instantly get defensive and say, no, 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 well then, are we really hearing our friends, right, if this is a person who loves us? No, I get curious. You say I've been self-absorbed lately. Tell me, tell me more. Like, what, what have I done? You know, has there been times that you've tried to talk with me that you feel like I haven't been listening? That's how we grow, okay? So there's a balance to be had here. I don't know how to verbalize this. Let me think for a second. There's a balance to be had here. 
because we want to take responsibility for who we are. We want to see where we can grow and improve. And again, I know I've said it multiple times, but I also want to be mindful that we're not taking um, the prejudice messages we receive about ourselves as truth. Okay, and so that's the line. And that's something to get curious about too and always, always stay wondering about. Is this rooted in reality? Is it coming from somebody I love? Is it coming from a place of truth? Or is it coming from a, a place where I'm not valued? That's something to always be thinking about. All right. Here's one of the main ways I'm gonna give you to start building self-compassion, to counter the self-criticism. All right, this goes to the cognitive structuring that was mentioned before. It's a cognitive model. So, it's like four steps. One, we have to begin to recognize the signs. When are we being self-critical? So if you think back to when I started the talk, right? It's like if we're feeling really distressed over something for far too long, if we start feeling so bad about something that we're avoiding it, right? If you realize um, that there's been something you were supposed to do, maybe you sent a first draft in of something and you got all this terrible feedback and now you've not been working on it for days. Well, maybe that's a sign that you've gotten too self-critical about it. What are some other signs that people might have that they're being too hard on themselves? How might one feel? Anxiety, nervous, stressed. Yes, what else? Yeah. Overanalyzing, so ruminating, thinking on the same thing over and over and over again. How many of us, when we try to go to sleep at night, find that we're thinking about the same thing repeatedly? Yes, <laughs> that's one of the main sources of um, disordered sleeping for folks, is anxious thoughts that keep going. And anxiety is so big. How do we know when we're anxious? Think about that for a second. How do you know when you're anxious? Is it a feeling you get in your body? Do you do something? For example, I know I'm anxious when my shoulders are like up here. And I'm like, oh, okay. I need a, something's going on. I need to relax for a second. What about for you guys? Anyone feel like sharing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, panic attacks. You can feel it coming on like a tightness, right? Muscle tension, maybe racing heart shortness of breath, you know that shallow breathing we talked about? If you're doing a lot of that, those can all be signs that you're having anxiety and you're feeling stressed. It can be a sign that maybe you're being too hard on yourself. Any other thoughts or ways of knowing that maybe we're being too self-critical? Just, how about this for a second? Everybody just take a moment and ask yourself, this is going to sound so silly, okay, but just try it. Think about something that's been challenging for you, okay, a problem, a relationship, a situation, and ask yourself, do I believe, when it comes to this, do I believe in myself? Do I believe in my ability? Do I think I'm good enough? Do I think I'm good enough? If you're having trouble fully believing that you are, 
sign of self-criticism. Okay, so we have to know the signs. And then, part two, we have to increase our awareness of the actual self-critical thought. The thought. Okay, get specific. And how that thought makes you feel. And for this, I do suggest writing it down. Like maybe just even in a notes app on your iPhone or something. And this is important, okay, to get it in writing. To see the detail. Because we're all adults in here, okay, I think. Um, and so we've spent years creating these narratives and building this evidence against ourselves. We're going to need the evidence to start discrediting that, right? So writing it down can be so helpful. Because when you see the self-critical thought, it gets outside of you and it starts to be like, whoa, that's really, I'm being really hard on myself. When I was in grad school, uh, such a challenging time, I was getting really, really stressed out and faced with all these new tasks. And I realized I didn't know it at first. But then I started paying more attention. And I realized I was repeating, repeatedly telling myself after getting an assignment, oh, I can't handle this. And it happened so quickly, I didn't even realize I was telling myself that. But then once I wrote it out, I was like, is that true? Can I not handle this? Clearly it wasn't true. I made it. I'm out. <laughs> I survived. Okay. The, once you have the awareness of the thought, think about how it makes you feel. Okay. I don't know if I'm good enough to be with this person. I can't handle this. I'm not smart enough. How do you feel when you read that? That's important. That's an important deterrent to continuing to think those thoughts. It's an important motivator because it's not okay to feel bad all the time. Now here's the tricky part, okay? The next step, you have to start changing that self-critical thought you wrote down. And one of the primary ways this is going to be a shock to you guys. One of the primary ways I recommend doing that is asking yourself, what would I say to a friend in the exact same situation as me? Write that down. Because I bet it's going to be different than what you told yourself. Write down that new thought, okay? And then say it to yourself. And maybe you, don't, you probably won't, honestly, you're probably not going to buy into it right away. You're going to be like, okay, I'm doing this exercise. But think, if I were to buy into it, or if you do buy into it, how do you feel now? Okay, when you think, oh, I'm not stupid. I just um, was having a hard day, and I didn't have great training on how to do this task. Well, now I don't feel quite so bad. I have something I need to work on, but I don't feel as terrible as I did before. That's another important motivator to note how that new thought makes you feel. And write that feeling down. Now start doing this on a regular basis. Okay, anytime you start feeling bad, anytime you're in a tricky situation, maybe you're going to a party, okay, you don't know anyone, and you're like, no one's gonna talk to me, no one likes me, I'm 
weird or awkward or whatever, take notes of these things and write them down. I'm throwing all these examples out there, okay? Hope, hopefully one of them lands for you guys. Start writing it down. It's going to be tedious, okay? But the next step is that it's practice. You have to practice this. It is not a natural thing. It is not what, at least in the U.S., um, we've been taught to do. It's not part of our culture to take care of ourselves, to be kind to ourselves. So it's going to take practice to do this. And you probably, there's a decent chance, again, that you're not going to buy into these thoughts the first time you start writing them down. But you have to keep with it. Because eventually, one day, it's going to click, and you're going to be like, oh, I think I love myself enough to maybe start believing these things. And what I would like you to do is in addition to writing these thoughts down, couple it with the deep breathing, okay? If you can do the deep breathing exercises regularly, it's really going to help. Because when you start challenging your self-critical thoughts or really facing and looking at your self-critical thoughts, what can happen for a lot of people is a spike in anxiety. Because it's kind of scary and it's kind of intense to look at all the bad thoughts we're thinking about ourselves and to realize how long we've been thinking them. That's a big thing. So if you have a tool or a mechanism to calm yourself down, to de-stress, to relax, it's really going to help. But the deep breathing takes practice, too. So if you have other coping mechanisms, too. For myself, I like having a cup of tea. That really puts me in a calm, centered state. So think of things like that that you can do that you can have on hand. Because making this kind of change can bring up feelings of anxiety for folks. And then as a therapist, I have to say, if the thoughts continue and you're struggling to make change on your own and you're still feeling distressed and you're having increased awareness of how hard you can be on yourself, and how judgmental you can be of yourself. Um, maybe seek out a therapist. Maybe that's time for counseling. Because not all of us can do this on our own. These are messages that we've been taught and a way of thinking that we've been taught since we were children. And it can take a long time to undo them and it can take a lot of work to undo them. Okay. So any thoughts or questions about this, about the steps? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a great question. So as you're trying to become less self-critical, the question is, what do you do when people you're really close with, maybe even people you care about, like family, in-laws, et cetera, what do you do when those people feed that narrative that you're not good enough, and they feed that self-criticism? How do you overcome that? 
any thoughts? I'd love to hear what y'all think. Because I think that's something that all of us struggle with. So thank you for that great question. Yes. A lot of boundary work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe creating some boundaries and letting people know that you're creating boundaries. Not necessarily asking for permission, but saying, um, you know, I don't want to talk about this part of my life with you um, because sometimes, you know, I, I walk away from that conversation feeling bad. And you can just be honest. We don't have control over how they will respond or what they will think or how they will act, but we can be honest, let them know where we are, and then draw that boundary. What are some other thoughts or ideas? Because that was great. Yes. 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 I love that. So she was saying that, um, I don't know if everyone could hear, but that a lot of times people just go off. And when other people are hurting, they tend to hurt others. And so maybe they just say something um, they don't mean or something cruel that's really more about where they are than about you. So increasing the awareness and reminding oneself that this isn't about me. This person has a problem with X, Y, and Z, or this person's going through a tough time. They're gonna say things and give yourself permission to not internalize it, okay? When we're kids, we don't have the awareness that that's true, that society will say things about us, other people will say things about us um, because society is broken or people are hurting and are human. But as adults, we can give ourselves permission to not buy into those and to not internalize them. And that's where I think mantras can be really, really good. Because if you're going into a situation, say you're going home for a holiday, okay, we all just got through the holidays, all right? But just put yourself back there for a second, okay? And if you can go in to those holidays <laughs> knowing these are the people I'm gonna be with, and this is the narrative they have of me, and these are the things they might say, and that's, that doesn't feel true to me anymore. Or that doesn't, true, not even a thing. It doesn't feel helpful to me anymore. It's not helping me. All I feel is bad. And when all we feel is bad, we don't grow. So it's not helpful to me anymore. Have that as a mantra. I always think of getting a tattoo about something like that that I can just look at, you know, during times of like, it's not me. You know, <laughs> this is a great mantra to have. It's not me. Women especially, I will say, research shows that women especially have difficulty not internalizing things. We're just taught that we're the problem. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so just a comment um, over here. The intuition and emotions and feelings should be valued, okay? And if we're socialized um, to be more okay with our feelings because of our uh, assigned gender and what that's supposed to mean, um, you know, maybe we're given more permission by society to feel things and that feeling things isn't bad. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 it was just an acknowledgement that feelings are important and can be used as a tool and can be intuitive um, and that we can grow. Like feelings are important, we should be feeling them. Feel them all, the, feel all your feelings all the time, okay? <laughs> all the feelings all the time, which I think as a society is something um, that often, you know, in the US we tell men not to do because it's not very manly or masculine to be super emotional all over the place, okay? Supposedly, that's what they say, right? So be attuned to that, okay? If you're encouraged to be emotional, great, what does that mean for you? If you're not, do you want to be? And that's okay. That's something that I think men can be really sometimes critical to themselves about. but it's human. Okay, I'm wrapping up here. Um, I did want to mention that, yes, if you are struggling to do this on your own because it's hard work, um, reach out to a therapist. A lot of great therapists in Atlanta. And I also wanted to recommend, for those of you who are really interested um, in building self-compassion. Um, there's a great uh, uh, researcher in self-compassion called Kristen Neff. Dr. Kristen Neff, she's wonderful. Um, she has a lot of good stuff. There's a, she has a website, I think it's like selfcompassion.org or you can Google it, but there's lots of self-compassion meditations on there for free. And I'll go ahead and put um, the outline from my talk today uh, on my website as well, so you can feel free to check that out. Um, and Kristen Neff also has a book called Self-Compassion Step-by-Step, and you can get it um, like an audio book, and it's really great. And it takes you through a step-by-step process and guide of building self-compassion, and that's something I recommend too. And I think that that is all I, I have. Um, so I'll open it up to any final questions or thoughts before we wrap up for today. Hey, w yes. Mm -mm. I think that that's a... Yeah, so the question was, do children from challenging homes tend to have more self-judgment and self-criticism? 
You know, I think that um, that's a really interesting question. Uh, and it really can be a case-by-case case situation. I think it really depends um, on context. But sometimes, you know, kids growing up in challenging situations, um, very, uh, they can begin to blame themselves. Um, because kids don't have a lot of awareness of how the world works, and so you try to make sense of the world with what you know. And if your whole world is like within, you know, the four walls of your house or your school, um, sometimes you kind of begin to wonder, am I, am I the problem? I hope that answers your question. Any other final questions or thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Oh, great question. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So if you're a parent raising kids, um, how do you begin to help them combat the narratives they receive about themselves, the self-criticism, and become more self-compassionate? I would say the first step is um, letting your kids know that you know not everything they hear about themselves or see about themselves on TV is going to be true and that they can question authority, um, and that they can question uh, the media, and just like let them know that not everything they're saying is based in truth, because kids take things as truth, right? Um, so I think that's, a, that's the first great step. I think also helping kids differentiate um, when they mess up, like, you're good, and I still love you, and you're a good person, but what you did here, this action wasn't okay. And using language that can differentiate the self from the action will be very useful. Okay. Well, that is all I have for you guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put a uh, box of my cards up here on the table, if that's okay. So if anyone's feeling so inclined to take one on their way out, please do. Um, my practice is right down the road. Uh, and I work with all sorts of issues um, and concerns. And it also has my website on there, um, or you can Google my name, which will be on the Modern Mystic website as well. Um, I'm the only Adrian Kunemund in the United States. So <laughs> maybe in the world, so it'll be easy to find me. Um, and I'll go ahead and put the outline for my talk um, and some resources I recommend on my website as well. Thank you guys so much. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.